time can be your currency. It doesn't have to be dollars as we know it. And in fact, one of the exercises we bring all of our members through is identifying the resources that you need and the resources that you have. And really building in this philosophy that most people think about currency as being money, but currency is not just money, it's time, but it's not only time, it's contacts, it's abilities, it's experience, it's being able to have access to deals. So I want everyone thinking, what is your currency that you bring to the table? Focus on what you have as a currency and then find the currency from everybody else. One of those being money. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals and Pride Away Stays. I am running solo today besides our guests, but our guest almost doesn't need an introduction for many because he's been on HGTV. Uh, he is very popular uh, with a lot of people that are looking to purchase homes and invest in real estate. We're really grateful to have Michael Saracini here uh, on the Real Estate Law Podcast. Michael, welcome. Jason, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, it's it's about time we got Rory off one of these episodes and we have a, a real estate law podcast episode with no attorneys on it. You know, Yeah, this will, this will go well. Yeah, this is the, <laughs> we don't talk much law on this. I mean, it's just in our name. But every so often, you know, we'll, we'll run down. This is the conversation I like to have, which is with real estate investors like myself, uh, people that are really out there doing it, teaching people how to invest in real estate. Um, and one, one thing that we were going to really dive into today is ownership among the generations because- um, you know, I am a Gen Xer. You are, are you Gen X or are you millennial? I am a Gen X. You're Gen X. I'm a proud Gen Xer. I love being I part of Gen X. Yes. And a lot of millennials kind of look to Gen X as, you know, this small little, you know, annoying generation that's not baby boomers that are now starting to hold all of the keys to the wealth that they can't quite get in real estate in the minds of many. And then behind them, you have Gen Z that are saying, I don't even know how I'm going to buy a place. So, you know, I'm hoping you could help us sort through some of that today, Michael. But before we get into that topic, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, Jason, I think that the topic of how Gen Z and the younger millennials are going to end up ever buying a house is is really uh, congruent to my story and where I started. I started investing in real estate 23 years ago, and it wasn't my first business. I started another business before investing in real estate. I was 20 years old and I wanted to be rich and wealthy like most 20 year olds today. So I did what you probably would expect me to do, which is I started a boy band. And this is a boy band back in the year 2000. So we're talking NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. People asked me what, what uh, instrument I played and it was singing and dancing. And that was a lot of fun. And looking back, that's an interesting you know time in my life. But I learned a few things from starting that first business and failing. I learned the the idea of hard work making making progress, and I think that that's a, a really important lesson for millennials and Gen Zs because it's not easy to uh, to be successful in real estate investing. It, it's it's simple. You follow a process and you get a result, but it's not easy. And I remember when I was uh, starting with my friends, the boy band, and we were learning how to sing and do coordinated dance and. And we started working for free, doing friends' backyards, little sisters' backyard parties, and then we started doing street festivals and then the media started noticing. So we started getting interviews and, and getting on TV for interviews and then doing these, these variety shows of thousands of people. And then we got a record label and a manager and went down to Nashville, Tennessee to look at uh, studios to film our, to record our first album. And it was absolutely amazing. And 
we were on this meteoric rise. And then uh, we got uh, dropped off at the airport back home after our trip to Nashville. And our manager said, okay, we'll give you a call in a couple of weeks. Think about which of the three studios you liked and we'll pick one and we'll go record the album. And so two weeks went by and, and we got no call. Three weeks went by, we got no call. Four weeks, we're like, what is going on here? We've picked it. It's studio two. We know. We know the one we want. So eventually uh, they called and they said, guys, uh, we said studio two. They said, guys, we got a problem. We're going bankrupt and we're done. We'll have to drop all our talent and we're not moving forward anymore. And overnight, we were devastated. Like overnight, our entire world crumbled. All that hard work, everything that we did was just gone. It was a huge loss. And probably the most traumatic thing I had experienced at 20 years old, out of that came the mo- one of the most important lessons that I still carry with me today is never again am I going to let or put somebody else in control of my future. I want to be in control of my future. It's not going to be the record label. It's not going to be my employer. It's not going to be the government or politics or, or the weather or anything. Nothing is going to be in control of my future but me. And I went into the mindset of starting the next business with that as my, my foundation, my guiding principle. I need something where I can be in control. And that ultimately, ultimately is what led me to real estate investing because it, with real estate investing, it's the only investment out there that you're ultimately the one in control. Yeah. I'm glad that you actually brought up the boy band because I found that, you know, obviously you could do a little research on, on online and easily find your way to, you know, some footage of you guys dancing around. Did you um, find footage, Jason? I, I oh, did boy. find footage. Oh, yes. boy. Yeah. You know, what's out there. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think it's, um, I don't think it was under your name. It was under Scott's name. We should mention, how do you pronounce Scott's last name? Scott Gilvray. Is that right? McGilvery. McGilvery, yeah, he was also in the yeah. boy band, but he's the personality on HGTV yeah. on the show that you've appeared. And he was in the boy band as well, right? Yes, Scott and I with uh, with three other friends, there was five of us in this boy band. And I mean, we were devastated and really we had each other to support to get into this next business mm-hmm. and eventually leading us into real estate investing. You know, I, I worked before I was a real estate investor, I worked in the media business for a long time. So I worked in the radio business for a while. I was on the air for a couple of years. Uh, I worked in the research side and then mostly in the sales side the past 12 years, radio and some TV. We would see artists like yourself kind of come and go, you know, come into the station, they do the radio tour, mm-hmm. the next big thing. The first single comes out, it's a smash. The second single comes out, it's not as big. They do the radio concert tours, you know, for the holiday shows. The second album bombs, they get dropped, you know, and then you wonder what happens to that artist. And they become a, where are they now? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you found your way to that next career. And another thing you mentioned, you know, that you were getting ghosted before ghosting actually was a thing, right? You know, your label was ghosting you when yeah. you wanted to move forward. We saw that happen on the sales side all the time. I mean, how often... Even in the real estate investing world, how often would you have an amazing appointment, whether you're looking to buy a property, sell a property, partner with somebody, everything is great. You're all on the same page. You shake hands, you're smiling, you laugh, you go to bed, you sleep it over, you think it through the weekend. And next thing you know, the deal is not happening. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be okay with that. That's that's business, but it's definitely real estate investing and tenants as well. We're big income property, <clears throat> income property investors. And so- you get ghosting a lot with with tenants. You'll have a great showing or you know a great tenant, and then all of a sudden nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier today in this in this world of text message and technology, which is not wasn't around the first five years when when we started. It's a lot easier now to to get ghosted. So I think the lesson there, though, Jason, is you can't take it personally because it's going to happen. No. 
Right? Yeah, you know, we're I'm in the short-term rental space. You know, we own five properties that I self-manage. That's kind of, you know, much of our portfolio right now. And sometimes you'll get this inquiry, you know, on one of the OTAs, Airbnb, Verbo mostly. You know, it's a great inquiry. They're looking to do this. They want to come vacation. They want to do this big family thing. You know, you're getting really good buying signs in a conversation. You know, it's people that are using complete sentences in English. Like, you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this could be a great guest. And then you're kind of going back and forth and answering their questions to the best of your ability. You're giving more details than you normally would. And then somehow they just disappear. You, you know, you pre-approve them like, oh, this would be a great booking. And then they just don't book it. And then maybe you circle back with them. I used to circle back a lot in the past because I'm like, what happened? Like, why didn't I? Yeah. But now I just kind of let it go because I know somebody else will book it for those same dates. Um, but sometimes if you like, you want to work it, you're like, well, what did I do wrong? And then they'll mm-hmm. eventually get back to you maybe and say, oh, you know what? We were thinking hard about it, but we found this other property and we decided to book that one instead. But, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. I don't take it, per- I don't take it personally. I'm, no, no. None of us How hard that. do you follow up when you, if say you got three or four leads and you know, three or four not getting back to you, do you give them a call yeah. a couple times a week? You know, it's, it's in, do you run short-term rentals at all or no? No, or I know don't. much about the space? No. So no, my- I do know the space well, but yeah, I don't, I don't run any. We're kind of grateful that anytime I'm getting those leads, if I really want to try to land that that guest because it might be a softer time, I will probably a little more gently push forward with trying to get them. If it's someone inquiring about a weekend or a summer week or something, I I will be courteous and I will answer questions very quickly. But I know that if you don't book, someone else will book for the same rate. It's just yeah, I've been doing it for many, many years. Yeah. I don't have a problem finding somebody that will book it. You know, I want it to be great. If it wants to be you, great. But if not, someone else will take it. So Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, you know what, Jason, I think in terms of I was like resource sharing and masterminding with with great people like you. There's a a, a new platform that I've used and I've heard great things about called Stay App. And it's um it's a competitor, I suppose, to uh Verbo and Airbnb. But what what they do is they focus on the host and not the guest in terms of giving the host more tools and more resources um, and, and, and creating a, an environment where hosts can have the tools. And we really like in our community because we have a community of investors. And so we're focused on helping the investor. Might be something that you want to check out because there's some yeah. interesting resources in there that address ghosting and a number of other things that happen on the other platforms. Yeah, I just I just wrote down stay app. Yeah. We'll take a look yeah. at that. I mean, right now, it's it just like Google is kind of like a one-horse race with search engines. Uh, Airbnb is kind of a one horse race, you know, for many places here in the United States. Uh, I, I, we love Verbo, but I just saw that Verbo dropped to kind of third behind like word of mouth and direct bookings, which Mm. is why there's a lot of talk in our space of, about building direct booking engines. And then, you know, in, in here, we see a lot of marketing for booking.com, but I, you know, we haven't even explored that because I don't need to at this point, you know, why, why, why? Full to the occupancy that I need, basically. Yeah. You know, but it's like why why go through the lengths to like sign up with fifteen different companies when you're getting nothing from thirteen of them? Yeah. With that said, though, tell us about Keyspire because you launched this a couple of years ago or a number of years ago. You've you've run you know mastermind courses, you've run live events, you're teaching people you know a lot of the ins and outs about buying real estate. What have you learned along the way with um, with that venture? Yeah, Keyspire is is one of my core focuses right now. That and my real estate investing business, and it's I absolutely love doing it because there's amazing people involved. Uh, but I think I got to give you a, a, a minute of backstory of where Keyspire came from. I started Keyspire with my business partner Scott in 2010, 
But before that, we were real estate investors, full-time real estate investors. And out of that full-time real estate investing activity came the show Income Property on HGTV. Um, so we started that show back in 2007, I believe, in and around there. And I was the uh, project manager for the first uh, two years. And then around the third year, the end of the second year, I realized that there was a, a need that we weren't fulfilling in the show. We only had 22 minutes in order to uh, educate everybody across the US and Canada and now 41 or so countries. And there was a need. There were so many questions that came in like, how do I find a contractor? How do I work with a great lawyer? How do I qualify tenants? How do I qualify a property? We can't get into that. So uh, I left the show to create Keyspire in 2008, and we officially launched in 2010. And the show came out of this need for people to uh, to need more information, to need more education, and to ultimately have an implementation system. So what we did is we took everything that we've learned in the decade at the time, and we put it into a step-by-step -step system that became Keyspire. And now that was 13 years ago, almost 14 years ago. And now here we are over a decade ago, over a decade later, and uh, we've got an amazing community of hundreds of thousands of people across Canada and the US. We've got a nice, great, tight mastermind group. We have an amazing group that helps heat each other, an awesome community. And that's really our goal is to connect people in this community, uh, to mastermind together, to learn from each other, and to all make our progress together. Mm -hmm. We started the episode talking about generations, Generation X, you know, which is what we are right now, but millennials and Gen Z, you know, we always used to talk about millennials as the young generation, but you know, there's plenty of early 40-something millennials these days. Yeah. They're probably still looking for either that first property to buy and own or that income property. Um, so the folks that you're seeing um, you know, coming into Keyspire and all the programs you're doing through them, you know, let's just take those two generations of people. What do they do? Where do they start when they come to you saying, listen, I, I think real estate is unattainable for me. Uh, we both work hard. My, you know, my wife and I, we have two incomes coming in, but you know, we just look at these prices and these rates and I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I think there's there's two groups of millennials because it's a it's you know maybe 20, 26 to 41 or so, right? So they and they're kind of in very different places. I'm gonna stand up here because I got a little light in there. These two groups of millennials are in very are, are generally in very different places where you've got the elder millennials, you know, say the 37 to 41. It's funny to say elder millennial. You got the like the 37 to 41 group. And a lot of them have had the opportunity to buy a house, buy their primary residence a decade ago when it was affordable, when it was a lot easier. So that group is generally a little bit better off, more better off than say the late 20s the younger millennials that are in their late 20s that never ended up buying a house a decade ago and they're starting to buy their first home today. And they're realizing the that they have two major roadblocks. And it was actually the two roadblocks I had, Scott and I had in our first year when we were starting, but their two major roadblocks is they don't have the money for the down payment and they can't afford the monthly expenses. And so they basically, the, the solution ends up being, well, I'm going to save up enough money for my down payment. And that is the uh, probably the worst strategy because you're not going to save your way to success when it comes to real estate. You're going to invest your way to success, not save your way to success. So they're trying to save a hundred, one hundred twenty thousand dollar down payment in some cases, which they could do it, but it would take twenty or thirty years sometimes. So that group is a little bit um, needs to employ a little bit of different techniques or strategies. The older millennials, late thirties, early forties, 
Um, they've often uh, already bought, like I said, but then they'll have equity in their home because their homes have increased in value. So the strategy for them is to leverage some of that value and to invest that into real estate at a greater rate than they're borrowing it, either through one of the three investing streams we teach at Keyspire, properties, private lending, or private equity. So we have three investing streams that we help people build their portfolio through. And we're finding the, the older end of the millennials, that's where they're at in their life. Whereas the younger millennials are like, I just trying to buy a house and I can't get a down payment and I can't certainly can't afford the monthly payments. And so the strategies they're using are finding partners in order to come up with the down payment using other people's money. But for those monthly payments, they're putting in income properties, taking a, a one unit home and turning it into a second unit or adding a second unit, just like we did on the show income property for over a hundred homeowners. Or they're taking a two-unit home and putting in a third unit that's boosting the income. And it's usually just enough. Well, if they do the calculations right, it'll be just enough to help them afford the home. Mm -hmm. I think the people that run into a problem are the younger millennials or the Gen Z folks that want to buy that forever home or that first home and have that be just the home that their family's in. And it has no income opportunity to it. They have a hard time getting into that home, and then once they're in that home, they're stuck, and they can't get that second home because they have no money for anything anymore. And I've seen that happen with friends of mine, colleagues of mine, you know, people that you just – you know, I'm at the point in my life where I kind of look back at some folks that are younger, people in my old job, people just in life, and you're like, man, when I, if I was your age, here's what I would do. I never thought I'd say those things. I don't know if you ever thought you'd say those things, but we're at that age that we can say those things to people that are in their 20s. Yeah. But you're totally right also about the the millennials, how the older millennials have probably bought that first place. And I, I see it in our neighborhood right here. Um, you know, there is a cohort of older millennial families that have one, two, three kids in all these brand new homes that we, you know, we live in Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is what we've mentioned many times in this podcast. We bought our way into like a new development that is you know, our home is a year and a half old, but uh, some of them are three years old, this whole development. And most of the people that bought in here traded up. So what they did is they had that first home, mm -hmm. whether it was an income property or it was something that got them in the game. They waited a couple of years. They built some equity up. They had a change in their life where they realized that they needed more space. They Maybe they wanted to move out of the city. They moved here. And they were able to trade up to a much nicer home and now build equity there. It's almost like once you get on that carousel, then it spirals up. But you just got to get on the carousel. You have to yeah. get on. That's the problem that a lot of people are facing, right? Yeah. Just get on the train. So many people yeah. are waiting at the station. We see a lot of people that get into uh, paralysis by analysis. They're at the train station. They've walked all the way there. And the train is coming by and it stops and the doors open and they just don't go in because they don't not really sure how fast the train is going to go or how long the doors will be open for or how comfortable the seats are or all of these different they'll find a way to make an excuse and we're like just get on the train buy that first property get invested in real estate because when that train is gone sure there's another one coming but you're now behind and we're kind of in a market right now where the train is slowing down and the doors are opening we're, we're in many places in the US and Canada and even around the world, real estate is is lower than it. It's taken a dip. It's it's plateaued or it's come down a little bit, which is the best buying time if, if somebody is listening in that market. Um, but uh, tra this trading up idea though, Jason, I want to touch on that because we have a unique spin on this at Keyspire. And uh, there's two groups here. You mentioned Gen Z. I want to go there in a second because that's a, that's a totally different conversation or group that we've seen. And they have some really unique philosophies, challenges, and unique abilities that that if you're if you have kids that are Gen Z and you're watching or you are Gen Z, that's like uh, 11 to 24 kind of age. 
there's different things that you'll do. But in this, in this group of millennials that are buying their first home or trading up, what we have them do is build a flip to yourself strategy. And what that means is they're going to go to their first home and they're going to wait a couple of years and they're going to have that passive appreciation. And then they're going to find, they're going to pre, they're going to buy the right property so they can do active appreciation, which one of the best ways to do active appreciation is to put in a second unit. Because when you increase the rent, you re- increase the income, you increase the value. So we help them buy the property, right? They can put in a second unit. They stay there for about a year. And then they move and trade up, as you can say, or sometimes it's a lateral move. But here's the key that most people don't get is they never sell that first property. They keep that first property, they flip it to themselves. Instead of flipping it to someone else, we, we call it flip it to yourself. They'll buy it, they'll add value through renovations or, or adding tenants, and then they'll refinance it. They'll get a check and they'll use that check to buy the next property, but they'll keep that income property. Because what happens after doing this for three or four or five years, or we'll say three or four or five cycles, you're left, you, you end up with five properties, not just one. Mm-hmm. You have your primary residence you've traded up to, to be in the neighborhood you want, but now you have four income producing properties that every single month are paying you through the four ways to win with real estate, cash flow, principal recapture, which is mortgage pay down, passive appreciation and active appreciation. So this is a really important and core strategy that we teach at Keyspire is to have people buy the property right, add the value, and then instead of selling it and moving to the next property, they keep it and they keep this trail of income properties um, as they go through their life. And some of our members have done this for 10 or 12 years and they say, we got millions of dollars of equity and tens of thousands of dollars a month in cash flow just because we kept the property we were moving from anyway. We did nothing else, but just keep it. And we kept moving and we traded up. So that is a really important strategy I want to just touch on. I wanted to mention um, for this group of people. And and a lot of folks might not have this in their DNA because they weren't brought up this way. Meaning the house that they grew up in is the house that they probably still know, or they saw their parents buy that house. And then when it came time to buy the next house, you sell that house and you move to the other house. So, you know, it's just a creature of the environment. Some people could figure out, figure it out along the way. I remember we, we had a friend, you know, 15 years ago that did exactly what you're saying and, you know, kept moving every year and a half and keeping the properties. And at the time I didn't get, I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, I don't understand. Oh, you're building up this like empire of, of income properties. And yes. you know, I, I wish I knew that just a hand, handful of years before um, I actually figured that out. And our, our first condo in Boston, I really wish I could keep it, but I had to sell it for the down payment for the second place. But that would have been a great income property if we did. But we ended up being fine. It kind of put us on the pathway that we're on now. Yeah. A lot of my neighbors that I see right here, they did exactly that. Some of them traded up or some of them did keep that property to have that income property. And yeah. what if what if you're in the position where you know, you did mention that the the Gen Z is a whole different set of issues they have. Like, you know, these 11 to 24 year olds or these people in their mid twenties right now that are out of college working, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they can't do that, you know, just yet. Maybe in the coming years and decades, they'll be able to follow that same pathway. But what are you teaching people that are in their mid twenties that are finding their way to your programs and your consultation relatively early in their professional careers? Yeah, so this, this Gen Z group, uh, uh, they're broken into two distinct groups and two groups that we've never seen that are so polarized. The one group is a pretty, is more typical. What we would think like our generation, you aspire to own a home and home ownership is good and it's important. And it's something that is, is not only a status symbol, but it's an important part of your wealth creation. That is, that is the one group. And that's how traditionally we've seen things 
from maybe 19, uh, 1920, 1930 on, you know, for almost a hundred years, but you have this second group and we've never seen the likes of this before in North America where, um, they don't want to buy a home. They're like, I don't want to own a home. Are you crazy? I'm going to own a home. I'm going to do all of that maintenance. I'm going to have all of that extra space. I'm going to be tied down to one place. I'm going to have to do everything myself. They say, no, I want to travel. I want to have the flexibility to live where I want. I want to have a brand new place that is technology driven. Jason, we've got properties in the US um, and we partner with a um, with a great company called Society Living. And what they do is they provide turnkey rentals for Gen Z. I mean, for anybody, but these are the people that are coming in, maybe 27, 26, 28 and younger. And uh, what they do is they provide something that you would never have if you owned your house. You come in and everything is app driven and the door is all Bluetooth and you can order everything through the app and you go to the gym and it's all tracked to your TV. It's like living in a hotel. It's all technology driven. And it is a really hard sell to go to a Gen Z, somebody that's 20 years old, that that's their world. And you say to them, you know what? Forget all of that really cool stuff. Go buy this house, renovate it. And then fix it up every month when the furnace filter has to be changed and when the air conditioner this and when the roof goes and the windows, they're like, are you, forget it. I'm not doing that. So my point is that you have a whole group that has been uh, raised with technology that has more virtual options to work than ever that don't even aspire to buy a home. They want to rent. Um, and now that might change when they become in the millennial age, that might change into the thirties and, you know, with kids and stuff, everything changes. But right now they're not like people were when I was 20 years old and, and 25 years old where home ownership was a thing. So that's something that we have to look at from a macroeconomic perspective. This is the, you know, the baby boomers, grandkids, if you will, that are coming up. Um, and so there's a big group. There's a big group here coming through. Yeah. I know lifestyle is important for a lot of younger people these days. It's why Airbnb is focusing on uh, unique destinations and unique properties mm -hmm. and unique experiences. So, you know, we're all being encouraged to make properties look different from everything else. Um, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm gonna sound grumpy old man right here, saying how does this generation build wealth then? Because it's well docu documented that homeownership real estate just for decades has allowed people to build wealth, to, you know, you know, maybe someday retire from their jobs early or have a comfortable place where they're not paying somebody else's mortgage, you know, many years into their lives. Yeah. So the, the answer to me, it starts with real estate. They can still build wealth with real estate. You can build wealth with real estate. That's not your primary residence. In fact, 99% of my real estate wealth is not the house I live in. It's my investment properties. So you don't have to own your home. It, it certainly helps if you've owned your home for a while, you've got some leverage and some track record, but it is absolutely not a requirement especially when you have the unique abilities that Gen Z has that you and I probably don't have today. For example, they are more tech savvy than any generation ever just by virtue of when they grew up. So that is a unique ability and attribute that they can use in order to generate wealth to say partner with someone like you and I that has the money, but we don't have the time or, or maybe the, the, tech, the tech savviness or um, all of the other abilities that they might have. So they've got that, you know, life is about earning, creating value through your unique abilities. So they have this tech savviness. They have this, um, they have time. So they have more time than you and I have. I've got two young kids. I don't have a lot of time to go out there and renovate properties. I don't do it anymore. Um, so I partner with people that have more time and they're usually in their early twenties. 
So they use my money and their time and we both make money. So that's the number one. That's the other thing that they have that the rest of the generations above them don't have. Um, and then number three, if they're renting and they do, they, they have this turnkey lifestyle, all of that extra time that they were maintaining their own home, they can now go out there and they can renovate income properties. They can go buy income properties. They can craft a deal. So they have so much time that is freed up by, uh, by not actually owning their home. So uh, there's a lot of unique abilities that this group has to build wealth. They can use those unique abilities to go buy income properties. And um, the first thing that they would do is have to raise some money. So they would go out and they would raise some money by bringing those resources to the table and finding someone like, say, you and I that doesn't have those resources, but we have the resources of, of cash or we have the resources of leverage or available capital. That is a fascinating way to think about it. It really is because you know, it's just ingrained in my head. You buy your first place, you buy where you live, you don't rent, you don't pay somebody else's mortgage. And then you could use that money. You could, you know, borrow off your place or add money to that from your job and then buy other places. You know, you're saying use time as currency, which it absolutely is. Uh, you know, we have a young daughter ourselves and it's just difficult. Um, you know, time is not as limitless as, as it used to be many, many years mm -hmm. ago. So if you're a young person, you're listening to this, realize the value of your time and, and put it to work. You know, I mean, like it's important to have fun and I think it's important to be social with people your age or with the same interests that you might have. Um, but try to leverage that. Don't just do stuff that you then can't leverage into a relationship where maybe you're going to partner up on something afterward. I know a lot of young people where their interest is investing in real estate. You know, it's not like they're interested in video games and adult recreational sports and going to the movies all the time. And that's their interest. Their interest is real estate. They like doing real estate meetups and real estate investing mm -hmm. and learning more about this. They just do it early in their lives. So then they're able to do those partnerships with us. And it kind of kills two birds at one stone. They build friendships, they build relationships. They feel fulfilled with their lives because what they're doing is something that's an interest of theirs. Plus they're able to kind of get on that pathway of, yeah. of building wealth. That That's yeah. a, a fascinating takeaway. And I just, Let sorry, me, Jason, I just want to underscore what you said for anyone watching is Time can be your currency. It doesn't have to be dollars as we know it. And in fact, one of the exercises we bring all of our members through is identifying the resources that you need and the resources that you have. And really building in this philosophy that most people think about currency as being money, but currency is not just money, it's time, but it's not only time, it's contacts, it's uh, abilities, it's experience, it's being able to have access to deals. We have some members that their currency is I have off-market deals that nobody else has. So you're going to put in the time. You're going to put in the money. I've got off-market deals and I've got a team and we're going to do a deal together and split it 33, 33, 33%. That's their currency. So I want everyone thinking, what is your currency that you bring to the table? Focus on what you have as a currency and then find the currency from everybody else. One of those being money. Yeah. My partner with this business, Pride Away Stays, is a good friend of mine from... God, 10 years. We've known him for a long time. We played softball with him for a long time, but you know, he's younger. He's probably 12, 15 years younger than I am. And I thought that partnering up would be a good idea because he knows different people. 
he has less of a tie down, you know, he's single, no kids might have some more opportunities to kind of invest yeah. in the business in areas that I'm not able to do that investment. And I thought it would just be a good kind of synergy there. So, you know, I'm trying to take your advice before. That's you exactly it. it. Yeah. I'm going to check this out. Pride Away Stays, that's your business? Pride, well, it's one of them. Yeah. Pride Away Stays. This them. is our short-term rental co-hosting business in Provincetown, Massachusetts. It's separate from the properties that I own and manage, you know, so those are- yeah. Those are separate hey, My partner, Scott, he has a show called Scott's Vacation House Rules, and it's all about short-term rentals. He's the short-term rental king in North America. Yeah. Have you ever watched his show? I have come across it, but I have not, you know, we're watching a lot of Bluey and Paw Patrol these days. And if it's not that, <laughs> yeah. it's it's NFL football. So, um, but I'll, nice. I'll have to watch a little bit more closely. Has he done shows in like uh, East Coast vacation destinations? The shows are generally like uh, by a lake, by the water, by a lake yep. in destination locations all over the place. So uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, there's, it's really cool. You, you would appreciate it being in the business, going from the, the, you know, acquiring the property, renovating it, adding that value, and then going and actually renting it, making something unique. Cause spaces have always have a unique feature that uh, when you're list going through the listings, you know, you like this unique feature. I'm going to have to get him to P-Town. It is quite the adventure, that place. Uh, we have places up in New Hampshire that are on a lake, you know, or across the street from the lake, but it's a lake community, basically. Uh, but if he's never been to P-Town before for renovation, like, I'm going to get Scott out there sometime. I'll, I'll show him the town. Cool. Before we wrap up with our final questions, I actually want to ask one I've been asking guests recently. So it's kind of a fourth final question. How are you using AI in your professional world these days, and why won't it replace what you do? It's a great question. So I have a actually a really timely story this morning. Okay. Started last night. My nine-year-old son, Griffin, he came up to me and he said, uh, dad, can you help me get a chat GPT account? I said, uh, yeah, okay. I, I've been talking about chat GPT for the last few months. And if you know kids, it's like, you can tell them a hundred times and they're like, no. And then they come to you. Eventually it sinks in and they come to you as a parent. They don't listen to you until they're ready. So I set him up with this chat GPT account. I taught him some prompts. And um, this morning when we were having breakfast, he brought his computer to the breakfast table, which we normally don't allow, but when they're doing like things that are building their skills, I'm like, okay, I'll let this, I'll let this happen. And I started reading some of the things that he was doing. And one of the prompts was one of the questions he said, help me convince my mom to let me get a cat uh, from the pers from the voice. He doesn't have the word perspective from the voice of a nine-year-old boy. And I was like, holy cow, he's getting it. Um, and so anyway, I thought that was amazing. And, and you asked me about AI, I think. And then I told, I told Kendra, we got on the bus. I told my wife, the kids got on the bus. I said, if he does that every day, I don't care if he learns math or reading or anything. If he learns how to master AI, he will be the most in demand person in, in 10 or 15 years. He'll work for any business. He'll start any business. He'll add any value. And so that's how I'll start my, my comment of, um, I believe if you master this, uh, only good things can happen. And the younger you are, when you learn this, your career is now much brighter. So that's a fun story. I thought I would share that, that he's in 24 hours, not even 12 hours. He's figured it out. Um, how am I using AI? So on the real estate side of business, I'm not using it a lot on the real estate investing side. My real estate investing is primarily investing with uh, doing developments. So um, I don't do a lot of AI in terms of my real estate investing side, but on my Keyspire side and teaching people, I'm teaching people how to use AI to do uh, pitches for as joint venture partners. So in the example of I'm, a, I'm somebody that doesn't have any money, but I've got some time, 
Um, but I don't know how to pitch someone. I've never pitched like, hey, invest with me, give me your money. Um, I've worked with AI to put a bunch of prompts in and figure out after you massage it to ask ChatGPT, for example, and say, help me design a, an investor pitch where I'm trying to raise money. My unique abilities are I'm very good at technology. I have extra time and I can take care of somebody's money and make them an armchair millionaire. I just made this up now, but this is an example of what you might put in. And then go, you put it in ChatGPT. They, and then I would probably put something like, give me the top three points and the best order. Give me an intro and a conclusion. So you put that into chat GPT, you will have the near perfect investor pitch in order to, that aligns with your perfect unique skills in order to get the resource that you want. So I'll say that's, that's how now we're training, uh, starting to train our members on how to use AI in order to forward their business. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, it's a matter of just taking the information from ChatGPT or any AI software and then putting a human voice behind it as well. Because if you're out there raising money or you're out there building relationships, that's still a human thing. But mm -hmm. if you don't know where to start by having that intro pitch, ChatGPT is the perfect spot for that. So thank you for sharing that. That's really great advice. And yes, your son is going to be a whiz if he could figure out how to put prompts in uh, before all the adults do, because yeah, yeah. That, that that might be how the next generation wins out, where they learn how to use AI better than all of us. So instead yeah. of AI replacing them, they just use the AI. You know, they're basically becoming experts as to how to utilize that. It's like having yeah. Excel. You could have Excel; anyone could use it. But are you an Excel whiz? You learn how to use this really intimately. So yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I can tell him. you, Jason, what my coach told me he said: AI will not replace people. People that use AI will replace people. And I love that saying because that's what I believe is going to happen. So let's get to our final questions. We ask of all of our guests to wrap up the interview and just get to know you uh, just a touch better, even though we already know that you were in a boy band, which is, you know, mm -hmm. probably you're probably pretty intimate. Yeah, yeah, we, we've we've had a couple HGTV folks on this podcast before, but never a boy band member. Um, so you're our first. So we ask these three questions of all of our guests. The first one is if you can get on stage for half an hour, which I know you've done many times, uh, but talk about a subject that you have zero preparation with, uh, but you know intimately, what would that subject be? Zero preparation, but I know intimately. I would love to talk about, what would I love to talk about? Oh, there's a few things that I would really enjoy talking about. I would like to talk about exercise. And building muscle mass, sleep, science. Those are some of the things that really interest me. Mm -hmm. I love gardening. So I would talk about gardening. You talk about well, a well-rounded life, you know, and, but, but, you know, going back to um, sleep and exercise, a lot of people, I think about our age, a lot of people kind of figured this out that to have that prolonged happy life, it's not just having your money and your time, but it's having your health. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. because those are the things that give you the freedom and who knows, I mean, you can be the healthiest person in the world and something happens and you get hit by a bus tomorrow or some bad chronic thing happens. But if you could set yourself up to be in a really good position where you're feeling great in the morning, when you wake up, you know, you're keeping care of your body, you're getting plenty of rest. You know, I think it, it, it bleeds into the other elements of your life. It's critical. It bleeds in. It's critical, Jason. If you don't have that baseline health, nothing else Nothing else matters. Nothing else is productive. And what I've learned is if you don't have that baseline sleep, nothing else you're doing is productive. You could be, you could kill it during the day from your education. You could learn a lot. You could, you can make a lot of progress, but if you're not sleeping, you're not wiring your brain. Um, and then if you're not exercising, you, you're just, your body's not going to last. And all this money that you make, you're going to die before you can spend it. So why die young? Why not uh, be healthy? You know, one of the measures I like to ask people is, um, 
do you have a home gym? A lot of people have a little home gym or a little place that they can work out. They also have a TV room. I said, what's bigger, your home gym or your TV room by square footage? And that's a kind of a good measure of priorities. And I can, I can tell you my home gym is much bigger than my TV room. And uh, it was by design. Yeah. But that's an interesting little measure. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you can't take it with you either. You could pass it on, but you might as well enjoy it while you're here. Second question that we have, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Well, other than the story I've already shared of, of that big loss that I had and, uh, and, and losing, uh, losing con- uh, not being in control, that was, like, that was one of the biggest things. Our purpose at Keyspire is to put people in control of their future. So 23 years later, I'm still influenced by you know, what I could call that trauma at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the thing that's influenced my career and probably my life the most and is in about 2006 or 2007, um, I discovered passive investing as a real estate investor. I had, I had a number of properties. I was working my butt off. I was working, you know, 60 hours a week, whatever it was. I was enjoying it, but I realized I had no time. Uh, and so uh, I discovered private lending and private equity, and that allowed me to be a passive investor. It allowed me to earn both cash flow and equity increase without doing any work, just by writing checks. And that's the, primarily the way I invest today. I absolutely love it. We train all of our members on it. Uh, but that's really, that changed my life because if I didn't discover that, I would still be either, uh, I'd probably be slugging it, lugging and slugging it today as a, as a renovator, or I would have given up because I had kids and I couldn't do it and I wouldn't have grown my portfolio. So learning how to invest passively is very important. We, we've talked about passive investing a lot on this podcast. It is a great way to round out a portfolio and to complement the work that somebody else is doing. Mm-hmm. It's very not HGTV, right? HGTV does not train us to passively invest. It teaches us to renovate properties and have these gorgeous reveals at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, final question we have. Tell us something that you're watching or listening to or reading these days. Um, I am listening. The book I'm doing right now, I do, aud- I do Audible. So Audible and Masterclass are my two favorite things. And I will tell you the book I'm doing right now is called um, Winning on Purpose by Fred Reicheld. Winning on Purpose. He is the creator of the NPS score, the Net Promoter Score, which puts customer experience over customer satisfaction. I'm seeing a nod as as if you've, uh, it sounds like you've heard it. Winning on Purpose is about loving your customer more than loving your balance sheet, more than loving your P&L. And it goes through all of the science and data around companies that are customer-driven versus shareholder-driven and how the shareholder-driven companies have better short-term results, but the customer-driven companies have better long-term results. So it just mm-hmm. reminds me to love my customer and uh, make the decisions around them. And you know that applies with short-term rentals as well, because people that are getting into this space don't realize that it's almost... It is more of a hospitality thing than it is a real estate investment. You get the real estate investment benefits along the way. But if you're a bad operator and you have a bad experience with um, your guests and you're not communicating well and they have a bad experience on site, you know, you're dead in the water. Like your properties aren't going to yeah. do well. Your reviews are going to be bad. It's not going to spiral upward. You're going to spiral downward and get frustrated and then hate it and either outsource it or sell your properties. So, you know, that's something we've learned is that customer experience is super important. And, you know, they don't teach you that in real estate meetups when you're talking about flipping properties and, you know, just no. buying investment properties, but yeah. Uh, Unless is, you're a key spire. Unless, Unless you're a key spire. It's our, <laughs> it's our core focus is I call it the customization of real estate investing. 
Have you ever heard that term? That's what I call it. The customization of real estate investing, treating your tenants, treating your buyers like you would treat customers in your business. Mm -hmm. We'll link up uh, information about Keyspire here in the show notes, but if people want to find out more about Keyspire or about you, uh, what should they do? Yeah, I think that what I always recommend, it depends. Uh, there's two options. If you're interested, I mean, keyspire.com has all our information, but we do a, a free 60-minute masterclass. And my business partner, Scott McGilvery, does it, the HGTV star. He personally does this masterclass and we've recorded it so that anybody can watch it at any time. So you can go to our website or keyspire.com slash masterclass and that's 60 minutes and it's free. We also do a three-day bootcamp, which is a few hundred bucks. Um, and that if you want to learn a little bit more and you want to get in deep dive for three days, you can go to the three-day bootcamp. It's keyspire.com slash bootcamp. So those are the two options where I tell people to start. We have a mastermind group, but I wouldn't go there yet. I would get into our bootcamp or masterclass. And if this is for you, then you can contact our team and move into the mastermind. Excellent. All good yeah, stuff. Thank you. It in the show notes. If you, if you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating of five stars or more if you can, uh, or give us a comment. We read all the comments. And if you want to be on the podcast, you can go to jasonmuth.com and, or you can go to realestatelawpodcast.com and you can reach out and we will see if we can get you scheduled on the podcast. So Michael Saracini, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate all of your insights. This has been a fascinating discussion about uh, generations, generational wealth, ways to get involved in, in the space and you know, learning a lot more about what you guys do at Keyspire. So um, I can't wait to keep the conversation going. And I strongly encourage you, if you've listened to this, to go check out some of Michael's resources because they are really, really good. He's been in the space for a while. Um, and I encourage you to have an open mind and to, you know, just see what he's up to. Um, Michael, thank you, Jason. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, everyone, you. for listening to us. Thank this you. Is, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. This yeah. Is